0: Doesn't work.
1: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by a modly, modly crew. Uh, they just got out of prison last night. You all owe me bail money. Um, starting uh, from the bottom left, I mean, it may not look like that to you guys, but it looks like that to me. And so that's the only perspective I care about. Starting from the bottom left, is uh, Matthew, how you doing?
0: Hello, I'm Groovy Dudes, are you right?
1: Okay, I I didn't catch a word of that. And (laughs) uh, moving right along, we have Teddy. Uh, Teddy the Bear, how you doing?
2: Hello, doing well, how about you?
1: Doing fabulous. Uh, I really can't tell who this person is because they're not in a video thing, their name is too small for me. So I'm just gonna go ahead and say uh, we have Darren. How you doing Darren?
3: I'm vertical and mostly awake.
1: Okay, fantastic. And finally, and definitely least, we have uh, Andrew the Dark Knight. How are you doing, Andrew?
4: I would be doing a lot better if I uh, quit joining Skeptics and Seekers podcasts, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> so would
1: I. <laughs> <It's>
4: not... <laughs> well, hey, there's this big red button over here. Should I use that? I think- uh... I just want to know who's <laughs>
1: responsible for continuing to invite me to these things. Um,
4: (laughs) this
1: this is one of those shows that really would be better off without me, but you're stuck with me anyway. And so, uh, today we are having a palate cleanser, a palate cleanser, because we have spent the last, oh, roughly five weeks talking about epistemology. I don't want to talk about epistemology today. Uh, epistemology is over. My head hurts. Uh, Next week, we might talk about something meaningful, but this week, this is one of our famous non-sequitur shows, (laughs) and today, we will be teching the tech. Ready? Ready. uh, Does everyone have their propeller hats on? (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. No. Uh,
1: I know at least one person brought a tinfoil hat uh it's <clears throat> a tin foil hat in
2: honor of andrew with the horns that's
1: wonderful thank you
2: uh, <laughs>
1: <awesome>. <laughs> all right uh so without any further ado we're going to jump right in and we're just gonna do some um some um how do i how how do i change the anyway never mind <laughs> i See Zoom, it's kind of new to me and now I've done something to screw things up and I have no idea how to get back to it. As long as you can still hear me, that's fine. I'm not, um,
2: not a cat.
1: You're, <laughs> you're not a cat. I've been trying to put a cat filter on you this whole time and I just can't figure out for the life of me how to do it. Um, so we are going to start in uh, with our uh, list of questions. I am going to ask, um, Andrew and uh Matthew uh I know that Andrew does not have his list on him so mostly Matthew to um uh help keep an eye on the list and uh to moderate this thing so that we don't get bogged down uh so I am giving you uh co-host moderation powers okay you might regret it but we'll see how that goes I will not regret it um I, I seriously, there, there might be a, a moment here uh, where my audio cuts out and you're thinking, hey, are, is he still there? No, my audio's fine. I just left.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, is, that is among all things possible. I suspect that half of my guests do this on a regular basis anyway. Um, so that said, uh, going right in, I, I just want to set the level so the audience can figure out uh, exactly what kind of geek uh, we are, because I say this often on the board, we are all the same kind of geek um, at, at the core. And the reason I know that is because we all have met up on discussion boards to argue vehemently about things, much of which doesn't matter. We are nerds. Um, and so how deep does that nerddom run? Uh, so I'm just going to start with the first First, most obvious question, uh, I think, and I want everyone to just go around and give a one-word answer: Windows or Mac? Windows, Andrew. really? Andrew, Linux. <laughs> okay. uh, muting Andrew. Um, Darren,
4: I'm a Windows
0: guy.
3: It got it has all the games on it.
1: Okay, that's fair. Uh Matthew.
0: It has to be Windows. My entire career has been Windows based. So there oh, is no other You're still. held
1: hostage by
0: Windows. that's um, yeah.
4: what you call what you okay. Uh yeah. Teddy. Mac.
1: Woo! Mac. So uh Teddy and I have something in common. I didn't think that was possible. There you go.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, we like to be so, which, theory, so that's, <laughs> that's that's something else.
1: So, uh, what is, uh, since you have the mic, Teddy, your favorite technology from the past? And by past, I mean anything before today. Um, okay. So well,
2: I'm going way back. I am going to go way way back because you said technology. So. I did. My favorite technology, which is pretty old, but when I was a kid, my uncle Ted got me one of those little record players for kids and he bought me 12 long playing Disney records that when my neighborhood friends were not, you know, around because I'm 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 an only child, I would sit at my desk and I would draw and I would listen to my Disney records with the music in the background as somebody would narrate the story. And especially if it was raining outside, I mean, that was just this wonderful little joyful place for me. And I just have such fond memories when I think about that but you know just kind of that little bit of scratchiness to to a vinyl record especially back then it just I don't know you know and then you had I think it was the Anderson sisters that would do their thing with those Disney uh with some of the songs like in Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that and it was just that old timey sound and I just you know that's that's got to be what is probably the most heartwarming aspect of technology. And that is very old.
1: So Bye. basically a Victrola. Okay. Um,
2: oh, Was a fancy Victrola?
1: <laughs> so <laughs> my, answer, <laughs> my answer is actually very similar to yours. Um, oh. So surprisingly, um, it would be the uh, cassette. And I will tell you why. Uh, In fact, it will be a combination of a cassette in a large, bulky, yellow tape player. Uh, Four-track cassettes and a four-track tape player. So, why? Well, Andrew knows why. Um, But when I was a kid, um, I uh, got interested in books reading uh, very early, Uh, but it didn't take long to realize that... uh, you know, I can't see well. <laughs> the world of reading is uh, going to be a bit of a challenge. But there was there's this thing called the Library for the Blind. Back then, there were no websites, uh, no no internet uh, that that we would think of as an internet today. And so, uh, the federal government uh, has a division,
4: National Library Service for National, the Blind,
1: Services, and they and they recorded um, the books on tape. This is long before Audible or anything like that. They recorded them on tape and you could get anything, anything you wanted. And so um, from the age of about six, uh, I carried around a tape player, probably the size of a small briefcase today, um, and, uh, a bunch of cassettes um, and they represented books and I always had them and I used that technology to my benefit probably more than any other technology that has ever existed. That technology made me who I am and so uh, I honor it today. Darren. Uh,
3: mine's a lot less uh, sentimental, just kind of cool. Yeah. Um, roman mills they used to make these huge uh, mills along uh, rivers that had like five or six water wheels sometimes as many as 10 or 15 and Mm. they were uh, just on the brink of having an industrial revolution when they started declining and it was all based around this water technology uh, for mass production
4: That's cool.
1: Mm. All right. Um, Andrew, we'll save the Brit for last.
4: Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think my favorite technology comes out of the 70s. It was those giant yard darts that parents would play with. And, you know, they sometimes uh, hit children with them and send them. Okay. But since that's probably out of bounds,
1: um, darts, uh, I had a set, loved them. That you is so scary light to me. Jarts. <laughs> 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 uh,
4: but since jarts are probably out of bounds for this conversation, um, which is where most of my mind mm, Yes, me too. <laughs> and you mentioned um,
2: vision problems, right? <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, both, both of us. So, by far, my favorite uh, technology and, and another deeply uh, sort of personal technology, something that uh, made me who I am. Uh, was uh, the Commodore VIC-20 and its predecessors, the, the Commodore 64 and the Commodore 128. Um, I fell in love with computers and technology all the way back in the days of Pong. So some of you will remember Pong. It was the little thing you could plug up your TV and it had two knobs, one on the left and one on the right. And you could bat a little electronic ball back and forth across the screen and uh, we had one of those when I was very young, one sort of four or five, six years old, and it was Pong. Uh, it was it was playing that game when I knew that I loved technology. But it was writing my first computer program on the Commodore VIC-20. That guaranteed that I would not go a day in my life without a keyboard under my hands. Um and and that is the technology that that when I think about the thing I love about technology, it is that, in fact, I still have a Commodore 64 emulator uh, on my Mac. And um, and so so that's it. That was the thing that changed the world for me. Um, and in a, a close second is actually those big yellow tape players, David, we have, a, you know, we have the same story there. and that opened the eyes of the blind, the the library for the blind and physically handicapped. So uh, uh,
0: kudos for that call to the past. All right, Matthew. Um, mine is sadly very similar. It's, I remember the VIC-20, I remember cutting my teeth on that. But for me, it was the Oric One, which is from the same era, same little home computer that you plug into your TV. And that made me realise that I could do something that would impress people. I went from being the the quiet boy at school who had very few friends. And then when these computers came out and they were very people would have them on display in shops and I'd go to the shopkeeper and I said, could I spend half an hour just doing some programming on this uh, Oric One you've got on display that's turned on? And he all said, yes, go and do it and I'll do it. And I'd write a programme to do some fancy graphic designs or or draw some pretty pictures on the screen. And it wouldn't be long before there'd be a crowd of other kids around behind me and then one would whisper to the other, God, he's quite good, isn't he? And suddenly I realised that actually this timid little person who didn't impress anybody at school was actually impressing random people on the streets who would come into these computer shops and just stand behind me watching me coding. And yeah, I realised that there was something I could be good at and something that I loved. All right. A uh, surprisingly... Good set of
1: answers. Shocking.
2: Are we all like really shy back back in the day? It seems we like- We
1: are it. the same kind of geek. Um,
0: <laughs> this, and ev- now look
2: at us. We're on podcasts like debating religion and politics and, yeah. and tech.
0: Late bloomers.
2: Mm, apparently so. <laughs>
1: So uh, we will have to move more quickly because we have a list of 15 questions and I'm going to plow through as many of them as I can knowing that I'm gonna fail. Uh, now, these do have a little bit of uh, some order to them. The first five are generic. The second five are industry-based and the third five are um, are uh, ethics-based. And so we might uh, only do three of the first two so that we can get to the ethics stuff uh, because I don't I, I don't want to leave any of that out so uh, what is your favorite piece of tech currently and it, it has to be something that you own not something that's own the market Andrew mm. uh,
4: by far uh, by far, it's either, uh, it's either my Mac or uh, my Linux servers.
1: Darren.
3: Uh, it's definitely my phone. We had a power out- outage here in Portland for a few days, and I can do without heat and a lot of other things, but apparently I cannot do without my phone. Matthew.
0: that is an obvious answer, but I'm not going to give that one. I'm going to say my Xbox One. I have got to have my weekly dose of a bit of gaming. And when I compare what gaming is like now to what it was when I was a teenager just a couple of years ago, it's it's stepped up huge. We've gone from 8-bit graphics and 8-bit sound beats to full-on orchestras and HD uh, video. It's quite impressive. Teddy,
2: My iPhone.
1: Okay. Honestly, I'm gonna have to uh, again
2: agree with me again.
1: Yeah, I, I <laughs> you and Andrew last last time. I'm just like this is mine. I've owned every iPhone, um, um, almost every iPhone. Uh, that is to say, when they've when they've launched two or more at the same time, I've only owned one of them. But I've owned every new generation iPhone since the beginning of the iPhone. Um, So I upgrade every year, Uh, have been doing so. And um, it's not simply a matter of what the iPhone is because most smartphones can do most of the things that the the high-end phones can do uh, but Apple was the first company to make true accessibility for people with visual problems uh, available in a touchscreen device. They they simply invented that world where it could happen. Uh, and I re- I recall um, I don't know who I was talking to at the time, but I was I was saying, look, there there are reasons why um, you know there are no um, accessible touchscreen phones. It's just not something that you would be able to do. And as it happens, it, it was that year. Uh, in fact, that month is WWDC and uh, Apple introduced voiceover, uh, and my jaw dropped and, uh, they have simply led the, the industry, every industry in making all of their, their stuff accessible. So, um, It doesn't matter what the product is. You don't have to buy a special product. You don't have to add any software. If you have an Apple product, it has full accessibility baked in. Uh, And so I I find that um, extremely compelling uh, for me. Uh, It it has made modern life livable for me. So uh, someone has uh, their microphone on and is uh, having a quiet conversation with someone. Uh, you you might want to mute that because your conversation may come through above whispers. I I could hear something anyway. Um. So what is the piece of tech? Uh, you know what I I'm gonna skip that one. Uh, we might come back. <laughs> I want to ask number five: uh, What technology do you most fear? Uh, hmm. We've we've got to we've got to talk about this uh, a little bit. Does anyone have an answer prepared for this besides me?
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: All right, Matthew, uh, uncharacteristically, uh, uncharacteristically
0: spoke up first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, not so sure. I fear technology that predicts my behavior.
2: Mm. that's a good one
0: so so do i <laughs> so um
1: excellent answer uh teddy what technology do you most fear
2: well i was gonna say uh, where it gets out of control where you're creating like a terminator type thing that can destroy you um until the battery or the energy <laughs> runs out but who knows it might be smart enough to to have um, the ability to find out where and more batteries or energy sources exist so that it can refuel before it runs out. So, you know, I don't want the so Terminator- So are you as a,
1: as a general car- category, artificial intelligence?
2: Yeah, yeah, but where it becomes kind of Terminator-like and it just gets out of control, but also it, a, a, a tie with that well, maybe not a tie, but coming in second would be deep fakes because mm-hmm. you, you don't know what's true. Um, and so that, that's pretty concerning.
1: Okay, Teddy, stop, stop taking my answers. Um, <laughs> let me just say about your first answer. I think that's a bunch of Hollywood hokum. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that that will ever happen. I don't think it can ever happen.
0: but i think there is something that's close to that that cause could cause us concern in terms of self-drive technology in cars you know would you get in a self-driving car if you knew that it would sacrifice you over a pedestrian in an accident situation for example so we might not have the the scenario that, that teddy brought up but there are similar ish scenarios that we do have to consider so I actually don't think
1: that that's a real concern either. Although I've heard that a lot, and I know that a lot of people do subscribe to that. They, they are not programming self-driving cars to make those kinds of decisions. They're programming self-driving cars to not get in accidents. Uh, and so it's not yes, like they have something some, will happen. Right, well, something could happen and everybody could die or one person could die or nobody could die, but it's not like they've got a pre-programmed thing no. that says, okay, little kids yeah. are more important than adults and women are more important than men and someone outside the car is more important than the people inside the car. Yeah. That's, that's simply not how they program it. I agree,
0: yeah. I agree. That, that won't be how, they won't program it like that, but the effect of how they program it will be that.
4: That is absolutely correct. Um, so a self-driving car does absolutely have to be capable, of some level of object recognition. And the result of any kind of awareness uh, like that is to have to make decisions uh, against that input. How close is the thing? How far away is it? How big is it? Meaning, uh, in essence, how how survivable is it if the car uh, comes in conflict with the object. So whether you want to think that we are uh, coding uh, to make uh, a choice uh, about internal occupants versus external occupants, Um, that choice will be made and there's, and there is no way to not have to make it because it's in the nature of driving cars.
1: But I I think that it's the same way that we make those decisions when we drive cars and screw up. I mean, people, people have accidents all the time, every day. And uh, they're not making that calculation. They're just trying to uh, live when, some, when all hell breaks through. Uh, and uh, often they don't. Uh, often the person in the other car doesn't. Often the pedestrian doesn't. Um, but it's not, um, it's not a matter of conscious awareness of choosing uh, that fate over that fate. We often don't have time to make that choice. What but the computer, you to? sorry, Teddy, the, the computer okay.
4: is not conscious. And so you're right to say that the computer is not making conscious decisions, but that's just tautology. So the question then is, what kind of decisions does the computer make? And it's not really sort of comparable to say we don't have time to make conscious decisions versus the amount of time that a computer has to make programmatic decisions. Computers got all the time in the world uh, compared to the way that we do our mental processing
1: in regard to uh,
4: potentially catastrophic events.
1: And so right. the computer the will make decisions. I, I think the only decision it's making is do everything possible to avoid the accident. Uh yeah, rather a lot than of
3: go Into that though,
1: a lot. Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, we, we have our first uh conflict, and I, I will throw this to the discussion board. You uh nerds out there uh, who have your links proving me right, uh, you can put them on <laughs> the discussion board at uh, you can the find
4: speakers. them on Parlor. If you're looking uh, for the skeptic, links to prove David right, you can find yep, them on Parlor
1: and Gas Seekers.
4: Now yeah, that
2: it's back up.
1: Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. <laughs> Click on the show uh, and discuss away. Um, Andrew, what scares you?
4: So I, Matthew took my first answer, which was uh, uh, hidden algorithms. Uh, I I agree that the things that are controlling our lives to some extent are those hidden algorithms. Teddy took my second example, uh, my second uh, concern. I'm not really afraid of any of these, but I'll give you my third, which is one that I probably am concerned about even more deeply than the first two, like bulk Data Collection and algorithms and that sort of thing. Uh, The third is the CRISPR-Cas9 toolkit. Our ability to modify the human genome uh, and and essentially create designer humans is one that I do have uh, some ethical concerns about. I don't want to see the tools eliminated. I'm not scared of them in the boogeyman sense, um, but I do think that, that we've got a set of tools that... Um, have maybe outrun our ability to think carefully about how to use them. Uh, the the best example of this was the Chinese scientist that modified the genome of the two twin girls in order to prevent uh, in order to prevent them from contracting AIDS or at least to have them be less susceptible. Um, it, that that did in fact work, but apparently it's had some follow on effects for those two little girls. And the long-term effects probably are not completely well known yet. Now, the scientific community objected to it. They objected to it strongly. And in fact, I think uh, they eventually found him and he's in quite a bit of trouble with the Chinese government if the reports that came out are are correct. But I do think that the CRISPR-Cas9 technology leads us to a place where we create, uh, potentially create better soldiers, Uh, And that kind of thing. And so I think we've got some deep ethical issues to take a close look at. And that toolbox is a concern
1: to me. Okay, Uh, I will go and then I'll let Darren um, close out this round. So um, what technology scares me that you guys haven't um, said, because you've stolen my top two or three answers already. I think uh, I'll go with a, with a one that's kind of obvious, I guess. Um, facial recognition and all other types of technologies where uh, it's not just where computers are making decisions for you, uh, but where they are making decisions about you. Uh, and the reason, I worry about that is that technology is going to, and I hate to I hate to drag it down to this level, but I just have to say what's on my mind here. That technology is going to work really great for uh, white males because they are the far and away the predominant people that are programming the technology. So they get to be the ones to test the technology and the technology will work beautifully on them as it does. Um, This is not a what-if concern. This is a current modern concern. Uh, Women are not recognized well at all, even white women. However, black women, almost terribly, just terribly, black men, terribly. And so the people who suffer from these types of technologies are the people who are not in the inner circle, the club of people who make the technology. Uh, And so I think in far too many cases, a lot of places are gonna think that the technology is just fine because look, it works well on 96% of the population. Uh, As long as they're talking about 96% of the white male population. And it's not gonna work so well for the other percentage of the population, but we're going to make decisions based on it that end up being um, unfair and uh, ultimately, uh, disenfranchise a large group of people, and i I think that um, I think that's a part of what has happened so far. And I think there's good reason why, for instance, um, a lot of law enforcement agencies and so forth have uh, abandoned that technology or made it uh, illegal. So that's that's me.
0: Did we just get Russell? We just got someone uh, doing the ding dong. Yeah, there's David joined, so I'm assuming it's Mr. Russell, sir. I
2: was
1: going to ask. Me. Oh, sorry. Just, just a second, a little housekeeping, Russell. I cannot see your video.
2: Yeah, I don't have video right now, but okay. I, don't,
1: I also don't see your audio, little chat head thing either. But that's okay. Uh, you're here. Glad to see you. And um, uh, if you are you are you still setting up?
0: I am currently at. Work so I'm just kind of listening in.
1: Oh, okay. So you can't really do the show,
0: yeah, <laughs> do much with
3: it,
2: buddy. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, look, log out and stuff don't, don't get down. Fired.
2: right? The last minute stuff went down, so
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, I i forgot you're, you're on call a lot of times. So, uh, log, log out, don't get fired. We'll, uh, we'll have you next
2: week. Yep, take care, guys. Bye. All right,
0: cheers, dude.
1: Okay, um. Teddy, you had something to say about the thing that I had to say?
2: Yeah, so, um, are you saying that you can't trust the leftist in Silicon Valley to protect people who are minorities?
1: Teddy, I don't trust anybody. Um, So you you have me... You, you've got the wrong guy if you think that I've got some kind of allegiance to one side because they've got my back and the other doesn't. <laughs> I don't feel like that at all.
3: Yeah, so, so he, he uh, can't trust the Republicans in uh, Silicon Valley either,
1: apparently.
2: Yeah. I don't think there may be, <laughs> there, there so, be some. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think that, uh, look, we, this is not a political show, but I would say that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook um, have had a lot more conservative ties than liberal ties. Um, And Uh, the fact is it doesn't matter to me at all, whether they're conservative or liberal. Um, Apple CEO Tim Cook um, has uh, had more meetings uh, that were unofficial with president Trump than any uh, CEO of um, any company With a president he was he was with trump all the time uh we don't know how he votes i'm sure that uh tim cook is extremely leftist uh but he spent an awful lot of time uh with the republican president so once again i don't i don't care uh how these people vote if it comes to trusting the technology uh in in terms of uh with you know, I- identity and privacy and things that the government can do with uh, information ill gotten, I don't trust them. I simply don't. And I, I think that people uh, of color, people who are minorities um, have more reason to feel like that. Uh, and, and nothing has happened recently that changes my mind. So I don't, I don't actually care about the political party I don't trust the technology and I don't trust the people who rely on the technology.
4: I don't think they care as much about the political party either. When you, when you get into the Facebooks and Twitters and Apples and Microsofts and Googles of the world, I think we are talking not so much about party allegiance as economic allegiance. And, and while it is probably true that, uh, economics share, you know, a, a Venn diagram with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with party politics, it's not perfect. And CEOs have a responsibility to the bottom line of their companies, just like their CFOs do. There's a certain amount of fiduciary obligation. And so when Tim Cook is, is with Donald Trump, and, and by the way, when he's with Joe Biden, and and when he's with whoever comes after, the thing that he is going to probably be working more toward is less party politics and more economic advantage
1: for Apple. Yep, these companies mm-hmm. uh, give money to both sides. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is uh, so it's really not um, a matter of political leaning uh, with it, as far as it goes, and so. That said, um,
3: Darren, uh, what scares you? I don't think technology really scares me. Um, I've spent the last few days really thinking about this because it's the one question that I really didn't have a good answer for. And I think I finally figured it out this morning. Um, And it's an answer that a lot of you have been sort of hinting at, but didn't really explicitly say. But I don't, I don't fear technology. I fear the people using the technology um, or what the technology allows these people to do. Um, for example, nanotechnology. Um, I, it's going to be a godsend for medicine and construction, but it also has the possibility of becoming the gray goo scenario where someone decides that they want to go ahead and just have the nanotechs uh, the nan- nanites reproduce without any um, boundaries. And so they turn, they basically turn everything in existence into just this gray goo. Um, that's, you know, so for me, it's not the technology that's um, that I fear, it's the people using the technology.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna squeeze this question in because I, Uh, have an answer for it and I just want to give it so if everyone can consider this a lightning round uh, technology that doesn't exist that you want to see Um, so a future tech if you will uh, for me um, a lot of things obviously could fit in this category but I think uh, based on the last few years and some of my some of the concerns that I have with technology what I would like to see is a new kind of gun uh yeah, I'm an anti-gun guy, but I want a I want a non-gun gun. Uh, I want a phaser, essentially. I want something that is effective but non-lethal, uh, in that it can that can be used as a distance so that it would give police officers the leeway to make mistakes with like a taser. Consequences. No, the well, the problem with a taser is it's too it's too close up of a thing, and they're not—they're not really that great. Um, then again, phasers aren't really that great either. It depends on what the writer needs them to do. Um, but I—I I, I want some kind of weapon that can act as a at a distance that is very discriminate, so you don't have to. You know, there are no innocent bystander uh, victims that um, and that can incapacitate, but not otherwise harm. I do not
4: want you to have a sniper taser.
1: Right. So this, this weapon does not exist yet. And I think that, um, I think that that would, uh, help with, uh, trust issues with say law enforcement officers, if they had something like that, as opposed to, you know, lethal guns and lethal knees. Anybody got a quick answer for that? That was too long. So your answers are gonna have to be shorter than that. (laughs) Brain link. Uh, Brain link, that's my answer. Okay, you're gonna have to explain that. You've got 15 seconds.
4: (laughs) I want a computer that we can
1: interface with using nothing but our mind. I'm sorry, I asked. Uh, Matthew. Teleportation. No no do you understand what the transporter does man (laughs) yes i do yes i do and i still want it you would be like dr mccoy you'd never (laughs) step into that (laughs) thing.
4: i want matthew to have a teleporter
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, just don't let any flies in there with me that's all i ask
1: no uh teddy nice callback
0: mute we can't hear you teddy Best, best type of teddy.
2: <laughs> Touché. <laughs> um, I was thinking in terms of just more immediate uh, needs for uh, this particular technology, uh, especially with the, the pandemic and virtual schooling going on. I want a cone of silence like this big like plexiglass or whatever so that when i'm doing work i don't have my son (laughs) bugging me talking to me and and then it would be equipped with like this low level electric zap if they try to like do something to mess with it so it could be like you know and so then i could just like have quiet which would be really amazing so that that's what i want
1: you scared me, Teddy. Um, um, who has not?
2: Non-lethal, just like the little dogs uh, have. I, mean,
1: I, was, uh, I, was, I was trying to pull up a picture of a dog in a, in a cone uh, to, to give it your cone of silence.
2: It, not, it can, like, it, they try to disrupt me to where it's, you know? Uh,
1: yeah, that's yeah, a terrible my, idea. Um, yeah.
2: Who, who hasn't gone yet?
3: Me. <laughs> okay, um, Darren. My technology would be artificial neuron cells. And for David, I recommend you look up the LRAD sound cannon. And for uh, Teddy, I recommend you uh, look up a uh, sound curtain. They use them in military, um, oh. as military security.
1: Okay. Uh, actually, Darren, you scare me more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so The
4: uh,
2: cone of silence, you remember Get Smart? Like the whole cone of silence. Yeah.
4: You that know, was exactly what I was thinking. You put them on. Both of them put them on their heads.
1: Yeah, you don't. You don't want any of the gadgets from Get Smart.
2: Oh, I totally. Um, that's that's why You I want, you so want none
1: of those things.
2: <laughs> the show. So, um, have like a whole meeting full of people. Let's talk. Let's talk industry for a
1: moment. Um, so, uh, big tech, small tech. Um, a little bit of industry talk. Uh, favorite and least favorite tech companies. I'm an Apple um, guy. Been, have been since 2002. Uh, I used to be a uh, anti Apple hater, uh, and I ended up needing a notebook. I was going to write a book, and I wanted a notebook uh, for that specific purpose. And I looked at everything. It was my most exhaustive. Search uh, for everything, and I pretty much decided on a gateway uh, something something at the time. And, but I thought, well, I'll look at I'll look at the iBooks, uh, and I did, and I bought one, and I've never looked back. Uh, so I've been a I've been an Apple guy for a long time. I could say that Apple uh, is the company that has enabled technology to be accessible, all of their technology, and so it became the obvious pick for me. Uh, it, it could simply do things that no other computer could do for people who couldn't see well. Um, I could do a whole show on uh, on that, but I will not. Uh, my least favorite tech company, the list is long. <laughs> and, uh, and the things that I could say about those companies are longer. Uh, but I am going to have to Narrow it down and say Facebook, which is kind of a, an obvious answer. Uh, I do have a Facebook account, uh, and the reason I have a Facebook account is because I'm addicted to Candy Crush. I've been a I've been a crusher for many years, and uh, I've got I've got a lot of data <laughs> stored there, and so I I sign in uh, with my Facebook login, and I've I've I gotta keep it, <laughs> so. Um, Other than that, Facebook does seem like a company that is truly evil. Uh, They're intentionally evil. They twirl their evil mustache um, and they, they relish in it. And I think that part of why it's so hateable, it would be one thing if everybody understood that, but I think that they have struck just the right balance so that geeks understand how evil they are and everyday people do not. And so they have a lot of power and a lot of run rate runway to do very bad things. Uh, and so I hate
0: them. Uh, Matthew. Um, my least favorite is um, companies that push out adverts. The adverts that come up on your web browser, which spoil the view of what the news story that you're trying to read because it's popped up in front of it It slows your scrolling experience down on the browser the adverts to keep interrupting my mobile experience whether it's when I'm doing scrolling on Facebook or whether it's when I'm doing a little bit of mobile gaming and an advert pops up yet again all those kinds of things they infuriate me intensely and yet yeah, all those adverts just be gone with a lot of them don't want them but I understand that they're a necessary evil still don't like them My favourite, back to the right at the very beginning, I'm a Microsoft guy. My entire working career has been technology, has been programming, and it's always been Microsoft, from the early basic to then visual basic to whatever it is I'm doing now. And yet it's just got to be Microsoft. They're indirectly responsible for my life. Andrew. Andrew. Um, I guess I'll have to, uh,
4: I I sort of agree with you about Facebook, David, but uh, uh, I think I'm going to have to go to the top of the alphabet for this one and say that I actually hate Amazon more than I hate Facebook. Um, It's a it's a close call. Um, But I think Amazon is uh, is doing things not only in the cyberspace, but in the real world uh, that is that is harmful to small business uh, it's harmful to its uh, to its large business competitors. It is, in some sense, bad for the workers, and they're predatory in cyberspace. So, uh, and and by the way, yes, I uh, yes, I'm a Prime member, uh, and and even so, I'm aware of the problems that Amazon represents. I, I know it's sort of an obvious one, right? Uh, people like to to hate on the big guy, uh, but. In this case, I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty well
1: justified. Yeah. The- so we're we're going to open this up to conversation in a little bit, but I got to tell you, I couldn't pick Amazon because they have positively changed my life uh, in all kinds of ways, and yet I agree with everything you said about <laughs> about them. No, so it's, they're, they're, it's a tough one, isn't it? Given me something as opposed to the devil that's given me nothing. Yeah, uh,
4: look, I, I, realize that it's, uh, I realize that it's tough, but I wonder, uh, while Amazon has given me uh, probably much of the same things that it has given you, I think the cost is far too damn high. The industry that I like the most at the moment, uh, boy, this switches back and forth day to day because I love what's going on in the quantum space. Um, but right now, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in the space industry. And, uh, and, and I like what's happening there. There are probably companies there that have uh, ethical problems that we could talk about, right? But in general, I like the exploration that we're doing and what we're getting from it. Uh, so the space industry in general, without a specific company, if you'll allow that, is the industry that I think I like the most. Okay, uh,
1: yeah, I'll allow that. Uh, who hasn't gone yet? Help me, Teddy me. and Darren. Okay, so let's let's save Teddy for last this time. Darren, what's yours?
3: Um, my least favorite is probably any of the social media companies. Um, they're pretty much their algorithms they use to um, disseminate information to people is one of the major causes of the political divide and why people are so getting so much misinformation uh, directly piped to them. Um, but my most favorite is pretty much anything Elon Musk has has done. He is probably the man that has pushed technology and innovation the most in the last, I wanna say 30 or 40 years.
1: Sir, sorry, could you uh, say the name again?
3: Elon Musk, uh, oh, Tesla, Elon Musk. SpaceX, uh, PayPal, all of that.
1: I, I hate him almost More than any individual in the tech industry.
3: Oh, he, as a person, he's mediocre at best,
1: but he's he's a truly odious individual.
3: Sometimes. But, uh, but as far as what he's done in the tech industry, as far as, you know, building Tesla, pushing artificial intelligence, he's even creating new um, CPUs that, um, are specifically designed for AI, which means they can process information a lot, that kind of information a lot faster. Um, SpaceX, he's uh, actually making it possible for um, uh, like, a real possibility of people going to Mars. Um, he's responsible for all of that. So give Sky him for that. Skylink. <laughs> uh, neural Nets, uh, he's yep. also doing the neural nets. So he's doing the, the brain interfaces. Um, Yeah, Skylink uh, will be able to uh, make sure everyone on the planet, no matter where they are, um, can have internet access, so yeah. Yeah, Uh,
0: what happened to these batteries that were gonna power our houses through solar cells built into roof tiles? Those are already available. Yeah, they they saw them. Okay, so there was a big fanfare a couple of years ago and now it's gone silent. I don't see any houses with them on, so maybe uh, you guys have them, but I've not seen, seen them in the UK.
3: Oh, yeah, in the uk yeah uh do a google search for PowerWall. uh okay. you can see them for sale
0: okay cool my mistake all right setting
2: so. uh my least favorite and most favorite are both apple um most favorite because you know my favorite uh, device is or bit of technology is my iphone but least favorite and i don't know if it was ever resolved in terms of there was the claim um that apple was um with the uyghurs in china the the muslim population there in china and i mean it's basically a holocaust going on there uh and there there's the claim that uh Apple was lobbying the legislature here in the United States to, because they were trying to pass legislation so that um, forced labor couldn't be used, uh, you know, with, with products and stuff, I guess, sold in the United States. And so... If if that's true, I'm not 100% sure if they were using it. I think they've denied using forced labor, the Uyghurs, but it's not like China's got the best (laughs) track record as far as, you know, even if you're not talking about the Uyghurs, you're, you know, their own, you know, the child labor and, you know, they're getting just pennies on the dollar, if that, for their work. So, you know, I guess Samsung uh, with their devices in South Korea, but, you know, I do, I do prefer the Apple. So, yeah, uh, so
1: I think the, the whole Uyghur uh, thing is not a problem with Apple as much as it's a problem with China. It's a, it's a problem with doing business with China. Um, it's, you know, you can have high ideals and goals but you have to partner with people uh, in the world. And right now, if you're manufacturing uh, large amounts of uh, technology, some of it's gonna go through China. And that's just a, a reality of it. And China is simply um, a bad actor. Um, so I, I think that everyone who lies down with China to some degree wakes up with fleas. Mm. Uh, And Apple is not uh, an exception to that.
2: No, no. And and actually, as I was formulating my, uh, as I was thinking about the question, you know, I was thinking so much of what we have is made in China. Um, But what made Apple sort of stand out, and and again, I, I think we all need to, I, I don't know what the answer is. I didn't get a chance to, to do any research on it, but if it's true that they were trying to block legislation that was trying to prevent that in terms of the use of forced labor, then that kind of takes it to a whole other level compared to other businesses in the United States. So you yeah, know, that I don't, might be a little... I, I, don't, back think,
1: I don't think that... That's something that we will know for sure. I don't think that it is the case. But once again, if you're doing business with a place like China, to some degree, you have to follow the local laws um, to do business there. And the local laws are very bad. And you know, one of the local laws, so I can imagine, is that you cannot uh, you cannot give aid to uh, groups that are seen as um, on the on the outs in China, uh, so you know it's a it's a delicate dance, and I'm I'm fairly convinced that whatever Apple has had to do uh, since they've been working with China, every other company in the world that works with China has to do too. Uh, Google, to their credit, uh, pulled out of China a long time ago. I really wish that Apple. Had pulled out of China. I, I wish that there had been a, a two or three year gap where there were no new iPhones, no new Macs, and we figured out uh, new ways to manufacture and we got completely out of China. Um, but, you know, Apple CEOs uh, all the way back um, to, um, to jobs uh, have felt like the best way to deal with uh, a place like China is to engage and stay engaged uh, with the politics. This is, this is, um, this is a political theory. It's a, um, and I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. Sometimes I want to stay engaged with the bad guys uh, because then we can have influence from the inside. Other times I wanna have nothing to do with them. Uh, and so I don't know what the right answer is, but I know that when you're dealing with places like China, there are no easy answers and you're going to find yourself um, on the wrong side of your ethics um, sometimes.
4: David, if you'll allow me, I have a problem with China and I agree with everything you and Teddy have said, but there's, a, there's another issue with China that I just want to point out if the listeners haven't thought about it. That's China's technology transfer policy. If, if you're doing business in China and you've got corporate secrets, uh, China wants those secrets. And, and very often, in order to gain access to the manufacturing power that China has, you are required to transfer those secrets to, to give them access. And that's been an incredibly successful uh, gambit for China, right? We've, we've seen them uh, move into uh, some level of, of technology dominance over the last uh, two decades, and, you know, surpassed Russia and then Uh, you know, our big threat is China because of their predatory practices around technology transfer. And I don't know that there's an answer uh, to the problem, but that's a big issue for me. And it's sort of in keeping with the show here. So
1: So before anyone uh, comes in on that, I want to tell you how the rest of the show is going to wrap up. We're going to spend time talking about the ethics of technology. And this is a part of the show that um, was really kind of at top of mind when I thought to do the show. So we've got a lot of things that we haven't talked about in the industry section. But what I want you to do, because we've already started um, this process, is we're going to have some open conversation and you can take any of the stuff from the industry section, uh, and have some general conversation um, about ethics, we will go into uh, some of the ethics questions before we close out, uh, we might make some of that our closing statement. But right now, I, I want to have some back and forth because this is um, this is an interesting time. Uh, we have Christians on the uh, call and well, we have Christian on the call. Um, and uh, skeptics on the call, but I'm not entirely sure that technology will break down along uh, religious lines. I, I really don't. And for anyone listening, there were supposed to be two other <laughs> Christians on the call. Uh, only only one of them uh, actually was able to do it this week. So don't think that, oh, skeptics and seekers, uh, they're just uh, loading all of their shows with skeptics. Our skeptics don't have lives, and they say yes to shows. <laughs> and our Christians do have lives, and they don't. <laughs> so they don't say yes. So, uh, Teddy, on the other hand, being the exception. Um, so that said, um, I don't think that this is. I don't think that your religious orientation is going to matter in this section. Um, I hope I'm not wrong about that, but I do want to open the floor. And so I'm just going to throw out some incendiary things for people to jump in, uh, on. So there's a lot of conversation about whether big tech has too much power. Um, we heard a lot of that, uh, in the political season here in America. I'm not sure if that was as much of a uh, cry in other parts of the world. Uh, we, have, we have one person from other parts of the world who can maybe speak to that, but big tech, too much power. And I think the only reason uh, we are hearing this uh, is because big tech didn't work out well for a polit- particular political party. However, if you go back four years ago Big tech worked out extremely well for that party. That's how they won. <laughs> they yeah. uh, they were able to um, leverage social media, for instance, in a way that uh, no other uh, administration had done, uh, no other candidates had done. And you know, as much of an idiot as I think Trump is, he, either him or his team understood Twitter to the point where they won the election in 2016 on the basis of their ability to manipulate uh, big tech to their advantage. And so I do find it rich uh, when, you know, now that it didn't work out, oh, big tech, it's a problem. We've got to regulate it. Uh, But that said, is big tech a problem? Do they have too much power? What is enough Power. What, what would you, what would the right amount of power be? If they have too much power, what do you do to pair some of it back? This is, um, you know, we hear we hear this kind of general angst, and by the way, we hear it from both uh, Republicans and, and Democrats. This general angst uh, about big tech's power, but I personally don't buy it, and I'm wondering what
0: uh, what everybody thinks. I'm kind of on your side there. David, I don't think big tech has all the power that everybody is saying. They've just got the highway that everybody can drive on. They've provided the ability for me in my little corner of uh, sunny England to be able to make my voice heard all around the world. The power isn't in the big tech giving me that that ability. The power is what I say and the people who do things on the basis of what I say. Now, Trump didn't win the election based on his superior left thumb. Trump won the election because of Russian misinformation making use of that ability of technology. So I don't think the power is being used by big tech. I think the power is being misused by nefarious forces who know how to manipulate big tech.
3: Did you guys hear the, uh, um, the latest news? Nevada is uh, going to pass a law. Are proposing to pass a law that will allow big tech to form local governments in the state.
0: Wow, um,
1: that's Nevada. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, but yeah. if they set the standard in Nevada, how many other um, states are going to start? Not every. I mean, how,
1: that? Many, how many states have? Because uh, you know, our casino towns. I mean, well New at least Jersey, they're being open about Nevada, where it, those are the places where anything goes. Uh, other states right. have. <laughs>
3: right, but so, the casinos are uh, spreading out from Nevada. Oregon has yeah. them. Washington has them. California has them.
4: Mississippi has them. New Jersey has them. Right. No,
1: I know, and all the all of the, uh, all of the uh, Native American settlement grounds they have them. Uh, but look, when people want to unroll a million dollars and donate it to a local government. They go to Nevada, uh, to, to Reno, to Vegas, or they go to Atlantic City. That's that's where they go.
4: <laughs> so, I wonder, Matthew. I, I sort of want to probe you about something you said because I, we might, I, I don't know, but we might disagree. I think big tech uh, is a problem, and the listeners that listen to this show and Proscenium and and still unbelievable will all know that. Uh, if there's a liberal podcaster out there, um, I, you know, I may not be the most liberal, but I'm pretty far down the line. Um, I think big tech is a problem because, uh, yes, they provide the highway. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's exactly right. I don't have a problem with providing a road system, but they also they also control the toll booth. And what happens in this case, is is a distinctly uh, uh, is a distinctly biased toll booth, and and here's the way that works. If you are a conservative person, what you are going to see in your newsfeed over on Facebook is those things that are distinctly conservative. It may not be all you see, but it is going to be a toll booth that reinforces your opinion. Okay, so the, you know, the highway thing's getting out of hand. So, uh, But we know that algorithms are a big issue. And, and likewise, if you are incredibly liberal, you're going to see liberal things in your newsfeed. And I don't have a problem necessarily with that kind of algorithm, but I do have a problem with algorithm, algorithmic secrecy. -hmm. I am I am very in favor of legislation that you know leave the toll booths in place. That's fine. But I really, really think that, and that makes it stronger, right? Because I really, really think it okay. Anyway, I, I think that we do need some sort of open policy about algorithms so that our data researchers, our computer scientists, and our journalists have the ability to examine these algorithms, to run training data through them, to see what these algorithms are actually doing to shade opinion so that we can not only report what we see in our news feeds, but how the things that we report get into our news feeds. And right now, that open access doesn't exist. And so I don't have a problem with the infrastructure. But I do have a problem with rather nefarious, sneaky, underhanded, conniving control of how that infrastructure is used. And and so we might, I don't know if we disagree or not, but I wanted to bring it up. And no, I'm well, absolutely look, on board
0: with that. It's one of the comments I made that this kind of thing, standards and data policy, et cetera, should be open and the government should... Uh, should be able to mandate that, and then everybody has to abide by the same set of rules for yeah, how but these this, kinds of this things is, are run.
1: This is the kind of thing, though, uh, Matt Andrew. That uh, I think playing devil's advocate, because I honestly don't know how I feel about it. So uh, for the moment, I'll play devil's advocate here and say that um, you don't have to log on to Facebook. You don't have to log on to mm-hmm. Twitter. Uh, they can be as evil as they want to. Why should the government mandate how they uh, run their algorithms? If you don't, it doesn't want mean that you're really not going to be controlled. controlled. Sure. If, you don't, if you don't want to be influenced by uh, social media, stay off of social media. Um,
4: but that doesn't mean that social media's influence has gone. So I hear you, and sorry to interrupt.
1: No, it's, it's okay. It's a conversation. I prefer interruption.
4: Sure. Yeah, no, I know. Look, you and I agree on this. Uh, so here's, here is my problem. Look, I, I agree that I don't have to log on to Facebook, and in fact, I don't. Uh, I do have an account, uh, log on maybe three or four times a year actually. But just because you don't log on to Facebook doesn't mean that your life is not altered by the way Facebook algorithms influence the people around you. And, and so we see this today. I, I, don't, I don't care whether you agree with QAnon or not. You didn't have to log into Facebook one damn time. Not once in the last four years did you have to log in And if you didn't, you were still influenced by the way Facebook's algorithms worked.
1: Hey, Teddy, explain uh, to Andrew and me why uh, Facebook uh, should be regulated or Facebook or or it's social media in in general. Like when I say Facebook, I actually mean all of them Mm -hmm. Um, because it seems. It seems to me, one, there's the argument that you don't have to do it, but two, there's also other media, television. Uh, all of television is trying to manipulate you in the same way. In uh, their Nielsen ratings and so forth, they are uh, absolutely uh, trying to manipulate you. That that's legal. Um, you know, p- Pornhub or, or any any type of uh, pornography, uh, they're trying to manipulate you. Um, I almost said they're trying to suck you in, but that would that would no they're Um, just trying
4: to get you to manipulate yourself um,
1: so i mean everybody is trying to manipulate you why should we be all up in arms about social media
2: well i would say the reason why is because so many people are extremely addicted to social media and it's a place where people get their news from and and that of course impacts elections and so uh when we see for example with google 90 to 95 percent of searches are done on google and when google is manipulating where they are leading you to in terms of the searches um that influences um and, and, and that can be very very major there was it um there was a it was right after the two thousand and sixteen election. Uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Epstein, and he did the only empirical study um, regarding Google searches, and he found that Google manipulated um, and and did things in terms of misleading searches and it shifted upwards to 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton. And this guy's a liberal Democrat that voted and supported um, Hillary Clinton. And he was just aghast at what his findings were. And he was testifying to the Judiciary Committee about that. And he was so concerned that if big tech Doubled down on what they were doing during the 2016 election for the 2020 election, that it was just going to be, you know, the outcome was going to be a disaster. And we saw okay, what but happened. We
1: understand that there's manipulation. I'm not even questioning that. I think everybody on the panel would say everyone's manipulating everybody. I'm surprised we haven't heard uh, much from Darren on this. Uh, but let's, let's get past the question of whether they're manipulating. Uh, Mm -hmm. I still don't understand why that would give the federal government a right to say, well, you can't do that, or you can only do this amount of manipulation, or you can, shouldn't, if the government is concerned about that, shouldn't they launch their own social media network, and then say, this is where the real news is, this is, this is the good highway, uh, and we're going to regulate it so that everybody's fair and safe right here.
2: Um, Would you really trust a
3: Trump? The uh, led uh, Soviet
2: Union, the Old Soviet Union. I don't think that you know Pravda and uh, you know I. I think the government needs to stay the heck out. And okay, um, but why?
1: You can't just say, "Oh, communism, fear of the boogeyman." That's not an answer.
2: Okay, um, why? I don't want government controlling the media. I mean, that's the reason why we have the First Amendment. Government needs to stay the heck away from it and let people have as much free speech as possible. And the thing about our the framework well, manipulation
1: is free speech.
2: <laughs> well, but here's the thing, and, and and let me just back up with one thing. One of the most important aspects of freedom of speech is political speech. That's at the heart of the First Amendment. And that's what the framers of the Constitution most wanted to protect, and that's what also the Supreme Court of the United States—they give the most protection to political speech, no matter which way it goes. But here's the thing: so the the federal the federal government through um, its Section 230 of the U.S. Code, it's the um, is it the Common Decency Act? I think is what it was called. And um, this act, this law gave these um, social media platforms, legal protection in the form of immunity from lawsuits against things like libel and things like that in order, because, you know, we, it, when you've got so many people publishing their, their opinions on social media, well, not everything's going to be true. So in order to protect the platform, what they were telling, you know, the, the deal was supposed to be that the social media people, they are like Facebook, they're providing, Twitter, they're providing a platform for all speech. I mean, they may have some little regulations here and there, but they're not supposed to, for example, if a conservative is saying something, block them and allow the, the leftists to, post their stuff, um, and and so they were given this immunity uh, by the government so that they wouldn't get sued for things like slander that people are publishing on there, but, but the deal was supposed to be, yes, but you're not regulating the content in terms of, especially political speech and stuff like that, but we see that that is precisely what they're doing, and so they're trying to make some modifications on Well, if you breach what the deal is and you start regulating, um, you know, political opinions and things like that, uh, and and you're not applying the rules fairly across the board, then there should be some um, repercussions to that. And and I think, you know, maybe something like fines or or something to, you know, kick them in the
1: teeth. There's, I, I'm just going to cut you off a little bit about some uh, there. There's a lot of meat in that. Um, and I want to hear from um, uh, Andrew and Darren uh, and Matthew on that. Some, i will just say uh, for my part, uh, I think the first amendment is a bunch of crap. Um, I think it's poorly written. I think it's uh, badly understood uh, and it's, it's unfairly used uh, because it's so poorly written and barely understood. And so uh, I don't give a damn. Uh, about the First Amendment most of the time, but I would say that the First Amendment was interested in protecting political speech, not true speech. Uh, it is a protection of political speech. And if they had wanted to protect truth, they could have written a law uh, that said that. And so there is no requirement that there be political truth uh, in any of this. And so if a powerful company has a uh, particular slant Uh, and they want to manipulate people uh, toward their slant, I don't see anything in the First uh, Amendment that would stop them from doing it. You would just say, well, it's unfair because they're too good at it, and the other guys aren't. Well, that's not protected under the First Amendment. Don't give a damn. David,
2: did I just hear you basically acknowledge that there's such... Yeah,
1: I can barely hear you. Uh, can everyone else hear? Uh, today no, suddenly got very faint. It was
0: lovely.
2: I was going to say, <laughs> I can hear you basically say that there is such a thing as objective truth, David.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say anything about objective truth. But I just said the framers didn't care about truth; they cared about freedom, and that's different. And what you seem to be upset about is that we have platforms that can lie and manipulate uh, and move elections because they're big and powerful, but that's protected. That's what the the founders protected. And if they had wanted to protect truth, there would be a truth in advertising (laughs) laws, for instance. Politicians would actually have to give an account for lying to people. They do not. And so once again, if they don't have to give an account for that, why should any company have to give an account of that just because they're lying and manipulating people politically?
2: They need to decide what is true, David. It's only through the free exchange of ideas that when people hear the debate, that that's where we have our best hope of truth emerging. And so you don't Did I just want- hear
4: you acknowledge that there's no such thing as objective truth? Truth is no, decided I'm- in a debate.
2: I am saying, because we are not God, and God is the only person that that has that um, ability to know what. Means,
4: let, him, let him come speak for himself.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, all of the rest of us, um, are mortal. Are best chance at trying to arrive at truth is through the free exchange of ideas, the public forum. And so our founding fathers were wise enough to realize Social that- Social media is you
1: know, not a public forum. It's, it's all private companies, not a public forum. If you want a public forum, the no. government should put out a public forum.
2: But you, No, 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 no. What the government needs to do is to hold them accountable for when they are not. No, they're not a public forum. They pretty much are. No, big- no,
1: they're not. Pretty much anything. They're not a public forum.
2: They are. And the it, no, reason- they're
0: not. How? No.
2: The reason- Can we let?
0: Hey, David.
4: Darren's going to have something interesting to say to Teddy here, and Teddy's had something quite interesting to say too. Uh, Teddy, I hate to, I hate to give you that credit. It, it pains me, but you, I, these are interesting points, and I know that I'm this is important to, to, to do Darren. My
1: part to raise the temperature in the room.
4: Uh, and it's well done, sir. But I know. I know that Darren has something to say here. I can, I can feel it. You know, it, it's coming on me like a spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Let
0: him on then.
3: Uh, well, honestly, I don't really have a lot to add. Um, I think trying to regulate speech is really problematic because then you have to ask who's doing the regulating. Um, I mean, do any of you really want Trump, the person who has demonstrably had? of his statements shown to be absolute lies, regulating what can and can't be said. I think Um, one of
1: us does.
3: (laughs) Well, uh, but I think that I think regulating speech and companies, I think that's addressing the symptoms and not really addressing the problem. The problem is that we live in a culture and a society that has no way to distinguish fact from fiction. We're just not taught how to do that in school. And I think if you really want to solve a lot of these problems, you have to get away from um, regulations and uh, government and technology, and you have to go directly to the people that are consuming those, that technology, and you have to give them the tools to be able to distinguish fact from fiction. And until you do that, uh, you might be able to put a band-aid on some of the worst problems of the issues, but I don't think you'll actually be addressing
1: the issue.
4: Teddy, I've got a question for you as a, as a lawyer, David, if you don't mind me asking a question.
1: No, Um, jump jump in. I look, I did, I did my best to uh, create a melee.
4: And and it it did not
1: happen. I I, I think
4: it's it's going to. So Teddy, tell me this. If I were to post-regular gatherings in my house that were political gatherings, but, but somehow the, the people there did, uh, they, they incited violence or, or they did something else. And I didn't stop them. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have something like a, a section two hundred and thirty sort of protection, right? I, I do have some obligation, um, to not aid and abed people who, uh, uh, are, are fomenting violence or, uh, uh, you know, maybe talking about killing people or whatever, yeah. right? So,
2: Are you talking ahead. about just simple association or social media type stuff? It sounds like you're talking well, about...
4: Uh, well, no, that's where the line is, I think. See, so that, that's exactly right. When I'm in my house, even no matter how large the gathering, as long as I can fit in my house, you know, uh, it's not social media. And I don't have a Section 230 kind of protection, right? I mean, I can't aid in a bed uh, uh, before the fact.
2: But you have the First Amendment right of free association.
4: Right. So to what extent is me hosting a gathering in, in my home, no matter how large the gathering, as long as the loft is? So, you know, maybe uh, maybe I bought Bill Gates' house so I can have lots and lots of people there. Um, to what extent is the Section 230 protection for social media different? And and why, why is 230 okay for social media? But it doesn't apply if I want to host a gathering, Okay. okay. A, a very large gathering even.
2: Right, well, when you host a gathering in your home or, or just anybody, other than social media platforms, when we say things uh, that are not true, we are subject to being sued for libel and slander. And so there is that um, check on our behavior in order to encourage uh, that what we say is going to be the truth. So we have that, that check and balance, but with social media, because obviously you know is is a, a platform for all of these comments that people are making there's there's no way that they can fact check every single thing people are saying and so because it's on their platform had there been not the the um, section 230 of the United States Code, then they, then then Facebook and Twitter would be subject to all of these lawsuits, and they would shut down, and then we wouldn't have them as a platform. And so, it it is it is in a way to try to preserve that um, that public forum to allow the free exchange of ideas with people all across the world and all across the nation. And that um, to enable that and so that they're not, it doesn't just all collapse upon itself from lawsuits, they gave them that immunity. But with that immunity, they're not supposed to then be both controlling the, you know, access to the forum and then also, you know, manipulating it. They're supposed to stay neutral and not, you know, on the scale with that, but, okay. So I, so I, just, I have to care about do you-
4: truth. I have to care about truth in my house, but I don't have to care about truth on social media.
2: Well, on on social media, it's just it's it's the whole thing. You know, uh, I think John Stuart Mill had said that the um, the best way to handle bad speech is just more speech, and you just duke it out in with the free exchange of ideas, and hope that people start to glean what what the truth is
1: hey, hey uh, teddy why do you keep calling uh, social media let's just say facebook um for um short uh why do you keep calling them the public forum see i'm still stuck on that uh because there's a public forum and when when you're speaking when you're talking about public from political perspective you are talking about uh governmental uh you're talking about the public sector as opposed to the private sector um, and that- so Facebook is no more a public uh, sector company than Apple. They're I'm private not- companies.
3: And they own their own servers. The government does
1: not own servers.
2: The company. I'm talking about the public as in the people. So when I say. Right. But
1: the people sign up for a service. that every, Everyone who is. A, I've got a Twitter account. I don't use it. I've got a Twitter account. I didn't sign up with Twitter.gov. I, I signed up. Uh, with Twitter, and I had to follow their rules, create a, uh, an account, and do do all of the things that I do with a private company. There's nothing public, at least that I can tell, about As Twitter. Gov-
2: but there is, in terms of the immunity that they have been that the government has given them that special immunity. So in some ways, and I don't know that I've heard this argument made, but it's something that has occurred to me. Through the government giving them that special immunity that nobody else really has, they're kind of like an agent of the government. And then you have this legal principle called respondeat superior, which means that when, uh, so like in a corporation, when you've got some, some lower level employee or lower level boss that does something on behalf of the corporation, but maybe they didn't really have corporate permission to do that, but that can actually bind uh, the corporation to what that lower level employee did. Um, Meaning, you know, when you're at the top, you're responsible for what everybody at the bottom is doing, you know, throughout the corporation. And so when the federal government, when they gave um, social media platforms like Facebook, et cetera, that, um, that privileged of being immune from, uh, you know, defamation, you know, slander, libel, all these lawsuits that are meant to curtail uh, people spreading misinformation when they got that immunity from the government. Well, then that's that's throwing some of that governmental public in in how you're using it. That throws that into the mix, but-, but So you're in, saying
1: it made them public simply because they got a favorable regulation?
2: It, that that, that there, doesn't sound right. Quasi, and it's kind of like, um, I mean, with that privilege, yeah, but, I mean- it,
1: But all, all businesses are regulated. Okay, so that's, I mean, all businesses are subject to some regulation or other, you can't say that just because they got some regulation that happens to be favorable for to them, that they are now a public company.
2: But they're subject to lawsuits when, when they screw up and, and the problem. Oh, yeah, but a lot can, of
3: companies have that.
2: Not with, not with this type of stuff. And then you've got the issue that they're a monopoly. And so you've got antitrust issues um, in terms of them violating the, uh, the law because you got to remember too it's not like you've got tons of different social media platforms i mean the, the ones that dominate are you know facebook and twitter and then you've got google where they own uh what is it twit no insta is it instagram that google owns no youtube F- facebook,
3: facebook owns instagram right yeah google owns instagram that's correct, correct.
2: And so they are, they are manipulating so much information that people see and then that can influence uh, politics. And so that's an incredible power that they have. And, and especially when they are both, it's like they're double dipping. They are controlling the platform but then they're also playing in the platform. Okay, but when well, does churches when does do the that, same thing though? Yeah, I mean, honestly,
1: good point. The share The shareholders, when when were they told? Oh, by the way, this is no longer a private company, because uh, Facebook. There was a time when it wasn't a company. Uh, we had MySpace. And MySpace, uh, everyone thought it was so big and inv- uh, invincible, but it turns out not to be the case. Facebook came on, they were even a bigger um, behemoth, but they didn't start out that way. They did the things that made them bigger and more successful, and it was a private company. And I don't remember uh, anything that happened in history where you could throw the switch and say, okay, they're now a public company and you can't treat them like a private company anymore. This is. The town square is not. Facebook. I don't know. I, I think um,
4: with- I think I think the closest example here might be at and um, not not a public company. It's now a public utility. I'm, I'm not sure that that actually um, well, works yeah, perfectly.
1: I, I, I think there are differences because at and had to use public. Um, uh, stuff to do what they did. Hey, Facebook didn't.
4: Well, no, those uh, those, those lines uh, that we use today were largely run privately. Uh, for instance, U.S. Sprint, the SPR in Sprint is Southern Pacific Railroad. U.S. Sprint's fiber optic infra- uh, infrastructure was laid by using a, a fiber optic rail car and planting those cables in the ground um, using a complete private uh, infrastructure and, and lots of our public service telephone network uh, is sort of that switch flipping that, that you're talking about. I'm not saying that you're wrong in the argument you're making. What I am saying is that there are examples of large businesses finding themselves increasingly uh, increasingly publicly regulated and increasingly beholden to things like the public service commissions.
1: Well, and I I, bet I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily argue against that because I don't have enough facts at my disposal. But I, I, would just say that at some point, if you're going to say this company has gotten so big and so vital that we're going to make it, we're going to take it away essentially and and take it over, mm-hmm. then there ought to be an announcement for that. You can't, you can't just say that this site, skeptics and seekers, that I have is certainly a public utility because it's such a great place to have conversations between Christians and atheists. There's nothing like it on the internet. It's clearly the most successful and it can't be run by that jackass dictator, David Johnson. Uh, You know, we have to have some rules and regulations beyond what he says. At at some point, someone's gonna have to send me a memo and give me some money uh, for that to happen. And I don't see uh, I don't see that transition. But I, I just wanted to say one thing that I agreed with Andrew uh, about earlier. You know, Matthew, I know you're still there. You're not. Ruined. I've you're got like a hard
0: you. stop in a couple of minutes. So you're going to oh. have to make the most of me.
1: OK, so what the thing that I wanted to agree with was uh, it wasn't actually Andrew, it was Darren. The real problem here is uh, people are using Facebook and social media for important Uh, information and news the the solution if you see that people are drinking from the sewer is not to clean up the sewers the the solution is to point them to clean sources of water and we are using social media in a way we have raised a generation of people that think that facebook what's in their facebook feed is uh is good true accurate information Mm
5: -hmm. and
1: this is just a wrong-headed approach i don't care if facebook's sewer um and twitter's sewer uh get cleaned up what people need to understand is these are sewers this is not what you should be drinking from matthew um make make the most of your time you've heard all the arguments uh set us set us all straight um and i know that you've got from someplace else the, the elsewhere land. So
0: how, the, how do you- the elsewhere. Um, Yeah, I've literally only got a couple of minutes. Fascinating, interesting. I'd love to delve into it a, a bit more very, very briefly. I don't buy this um, this public platform form thing. Yes, people are free to come onto Facebook and, and do what they want. But Facebook isn't, uh, and all the other multimedia, they haven't got the same standards. Here in the UK, we have the Advertising Standards Authority. If you make an advert, if you pay somebody to carry an advert for you and you have misinformation in that advert, you can, you can be prosecuted for that because, but you've got the, but you as the company, you've got control over that advert. Facebook don't have any control, Twitter don't have any control over what I put out. They can only reactively do something about it. And they, it's only in recent years with the whole public outcry over misinformation, that social media companies are doing something about it they're not doing something about it because the government has said you need to clean it up they're doing something about it because there's been an enormous public outcry about it and people are saying you guys you've got to stop we want to use your service but you've got to stop and i think it's the public that have driven this not not government so very quickly the point i made earlier about open standards from government i think governments need to be much more heavy handed and i think they need to be heavy handed in the sense that they need to specify a public policy on the way things that they need to specify an open public policy about how data is collected and used and i think they need to specify an open public policy in algorithms now if i make a comment there needs to be an open public policy in terms of how that comment then drives the adverts that i see and i think the government needs to say put that kind of thing open and they need to make it public. And yes, people can vote on those things. And yes, they can have people can influence what those policies say, but then the technology companies must follow those guidelines that the government has said. Then everybody knows. And the reason, the reason why I say that is that then everybody knows, everybody's informed. I'm not saying it so that government must control them. I'm saying that the government agrees a policy that everybody knows this is a policy. And then because we are there and informed, we can then make decisions on, the social media we interact with because we're informed. Currently, we're not informed. Each company makes their own decisions and they use their own algorithms. We have no idea what those algorithms are. We have no idea what they do with our data. And I think it's that hiddenness which is part of the problem. And I think if we can have it much more open and that openness be driven from government and then the private companies then follow the guidelines from the government, and that's probably me out. Thank you, guys. I know you probably disagree with me. I know I'm probably wrong, but that's how I feel right now. And maybe my opinion will change next week. Lovely chatting with you all. And it's fabulous being on people who've got better lighting than I have here at home. (laughs) And until next time, guys. Cheers.
1: Okay. well, I I appreciate that, uh, Matthew. It's a very strong uh, statement. I don't know whether I agree or not, because I don't really know um, um these are these are difficult and challenging issues and so I, i've got to tell you guys i i kind of want to do a second week of this <laughs> because i've got so much that's going on the cutting room floor um,
4: and we're not even into we're not even into artificial intelligence machine learning uh and and how that sort of thing is deployed uh, and how it figures into our ability to speak freely how it can be manipulated by one side or the other uh, in order to favor their viewpoints we we're, we're, no, we're not even started we're, we're not even started
1: yeah there's there's um, so much but I do want to do one quick round of other purely ethical issues that may or may not have to do with the industry per se. Um, and, um, also if you guys, uh, wouldn't mind, I really do want to do another week of this <laughs> because there's, um, there's, there's a, there's a lot here. Um, I, I've got another page of notes that are not published <laughs> to you guys yet. So, um, so that said, I asked, uh, everyone or said that everyone could bring their own tech, uh, ethics question to the table who who brought one
2: well we were kind of discussing mine mine had to do with the whole uh freedom of speech issue on these social media platforms so right um, and
1: that's a conversation i actually want to pick up next week because what i what i want to get into is freedom of speech does not mean freedom of audience so um just because you, Teddy, have freedom of speech doesn't mean that uh, I can't ban you from skeptics and seekers any day, any time, for any reason. Uh, You don't have a right to the SNS audience. Um, So Tara is correct in saying, I am a benevolent dictator. Now she does not say that I'm benevolent, um, but (laughs) but everyone who has a platform is a benevolent dictator. Uh, Jack Dorsey is a benevolent dictator over Twitter. Uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is a benevolent dictator over Facebook. No, uh, not. So <laughs> I'm, being, <laughs> I'm being kind. Uh, but so you have the freedom of speech, but you don't have the freedom of audience. I don't want you to reply to that. I don't want you to save it for next week um, because that's part of the discussion we didn't get into. Um, one ethics issue, uh, maybe each for those who survived uh, this long. Uh, me first. So, um, number 15 on the list, if we could use technology to fix a person's personality instantly, um, would it be ethical? (laughs) And uh, I'm just going to give my answer right now. Uh, No. Uh, Although I wish we had that technology. Uh, And I'm not even going to say that I wouldn't use it if I was the hegemon of the world um but i don't think it would be ethical i think it would be something that uh science fiction call called the death of personality and i believe the death of personality is the death of the person and so uh i think we can save a lot of money and just kill the person i don't think that it is any less ethical to kill the person than it is to alter their personality so Dude,
4: you you i i, I can't, can't let you can't let you do it uh, look first of all do you have their consent or not i think is big issue and no. and second well so, okay in, in my in Sorry. my
1: particular question it's it's uh it's not a matter of consent uh, it's okay. a matter of they're a you know a whatever a serial killer and you're gonna fix them
4: mm. so uh, in, in general, I would have said uh, yes, but it required consent. And, and I'm confused by this bit where you say fix them and then you call it personality death. Those things seem to be uh, so diametrically opposed that I don't know how you leap from. We've figured out a way to fix them, uh, like uh, stopping their desire to, uh, stopping their desire to set houses on fire. I don't care about the house. I'm not talking about killing people. We're just talking about destroying property. I'm not emotionalizing the the conversation. So we're going to fix them, stop them from destroying property. And you called that a death of personality. And that seems really strange to me.
1: Yeah. Because you are basically taking them over and implanting another personality on top of theirs. That's not theirs. I
4: don't yeah, so if that's, your, if that's your definition, I can run with that. I would see the technology differently because surely, or at least hopefully, it would be more discreet than that. I'm not, not picking on your example. If that's the one you're using, I completely accept it. But a slightly modified version of that technology would be to fix this thing, not to like, completely overwrite their personality, but uh, you know, change this negative trait.
1: Yeah, well, so, I'm sorry, sorry I, but a py- a I think that's, uh pyromaniac really likes setting houses on fire. I really don't <laughs> care. They really, really <laughs> like it.
4: I really don't care.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. That's where it becomes unethical. I, not In, I mean, everything really is fact dependent. Okay, so we can't just make these across the board rules. But in terms of situations where it can be ethical, as a society, we have laws. So we deem certain types of behavior, uh, especially behavior that uh, impinges on somebody else's rights, and if it, it if it starts to suppress or oppress other people you know we put people in prison for that we deprive them of their liberty and sometimes we even put them to death uh and so isn't wouldn't it be much better if you could just you know zap somebody and so you've got some sociopath that is a serial killer or or a child molester and you can fix what is wrong with it and remember you know I've got I have principles that deal with right and wrong uh, you know that are I think objective truths Um, and so I can call that I can call a child molester uh, their behavior wrong Uh, I don't you know
3: we all can
4: I don't think it requires anything like objective truth. Dave, I disagree with you because, because changing this trait ultimately uh, results in a better environment for more, for more people. I don't need objective truth to observe an outcome and say, uh, this is a technology that can better an outcome for more people. And so I don't particularly care that this individual likes setting fires when mm-hmm. many more people are impacted by the fire setting. And yeah, you know, sorry that I took away their matches.
2: Plus and, and and we
3: already have the technology and we use it.
2: And it's win-win because now that person doesn't have to spend the rest of their life or 10 years or whatever in prison, having a loss of liberty. Now they can be a part of society, not damage other people, now, obviously there's the potential for great abuse with this but you know just about anything can be abused you, you can have a pencil and stick somebody in the eye with it and you know that pencil's been weaponized but you know most of the time a pencil is is a handy thing for people to have so you know it, it's it's a delicate balance but I think it's better than people losing their liberty. I mean, cause I'm, I'm a liberty lover and uh, I want I want as many people to have it and enjoy it and just knock themselves out with it. Uh, okay, so, so
1: uh, thank you panel for acknowledging that you are unethical monsters. Um, who, uh, who else has an, an ethical Well, monster? I would just like
3: to add to that before we Go ahead. move away. We already actually have the technology to fix people's personalities. They're called antipsychotic drugs. Um, so we do it already, and people seem to think that's a good thing. So antidepressants, antipsychotics, people have no problems using those
4: and they right. all the seem people to think it's a good those thing.
1: Voluntarily, right? Not they, all the time. Sometime, not all the no,
4: right. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. <Darren.
2: laughs> I have nickel for all of the people on probation who have Mental health disorders, and who are doing fine, and then get off their meds. You know, how do you enforce their medication? Are you going to put like a like one of the little bracelets on their leg, and and have the probation officer watch them on video taking their medication every day? Or look, I, I
1: I understand what everyone is saying, but once once you decide that you are going to embed a person. That doesn't want that embitterment because you have the power. You can strap them down. You can pump them full of drugs and change them. You, then that person no longer has any autonomy. They have no agency. And when you're done pumping them full of drugs, they have no self. And so I don't agree with that. Done is simply created a new person and you've killed the old one that you didn't like.
4: You've hung personhood on one trait of personality, and I, I disagree that we are that flat.
1: We're, we're as flat as the earth, my friend. Um, did it? Did anyone flat else? The- <laughs> <laughs> did it? No. Did no. have any no. uh, <laughs> in that category that you wanted to bring? Uh, real quick, I. Um, yeah, that's fun. Um, you guys are moral monsters. What what else? Uh, Andrew, did you have one? I know that you answered a bunch.
4: Yeah. um, Technology and ethics. Um, I can't, I, I'm not sure which one to, I'm not sure which one to pull out of this. I actually liked the the personality bit, and I probably would have gone with the CRISPR-Cas9 creating super soldiers that I mentioned earlier. So let someone else, uh, let someone else go, and I'll I'll take a consideration of the rest of the film. Teddy, you've actually
1: been remarkably cogent um, this uh, this time around. Do you have a ethical um, issue um, dealing with technology that you want to air very quickly?
2: Well, it, it was just what what we were talking about with the free speech. Where you, were, I thought you told me to save it for.
1: I did. So you didn't have. Okay, that's fine. Um, I- I don't have anything
3: Aaron, else. Aaron, did you have anything? Um, well, most of mine is uh, about the transhumanist stuff, but uh, one that I thought might be interesting I like for Transhumanism. This yeah, but I, one that I thought might be interesting for this uh, discussion is uh, advertising, forcing people to see advertising, especially with when we achieve things like Neuralink, and uh, so people are going to be able to send their advertisements directly into your brain.
1: I really like that issue too, uh, Darren. So um, this one, we will bat it about a little bit, but this is probably going to be a holdover to the next show <laughs> because there's so there's so much there. I, I will jump in uh, once again, just because I can. Um, so I um, I've been kind of in the business of the internet, uh, on and off for a while. Like I make my money uh, via the internet. Um, no, I am not a uh, chat room star or anything like that. Um, that was a rather failed business. Uh, but I almost all of my writing uh, goes to the internet. Uh, people pay me to, you could say, um, influence. <laughs> Uh, people And everything that I write uh, ends up getting uh, laden with advertisements and things like that. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a part of it. And I've been kind of playing in that game in, in different roles for a number of years. Uh, so there's a there's a personal element uh, of it to me, I can tell you as someone who has run two or three blogs, that advertising is the uh, best quickest easiest way to make money. And if you've got a blog or a website that you like, and uh, Gadget, physics.com, whatever they are, they're making, um, well, in fact, I'm not sure about uh, physics. I'm not sure how they do it. But most of, the, most of the people that you see online are making money via advertising. And if it wasn't for the advertising, they wouldn't be doing it. Now, granted, the internet and blogs and things like that, podcasts, they existed before advertising. But that's a bit of a straw man argument. It doesn't matter. The internet that we have today wouldn't exist without it. So there is the on the one side an argument that advertising is absolutely necessary for the medium. Uh, but on the other hand, there's the argument that advertising has gotten out of hand. And I would just say since I'm sure we're going to talk about this next week, somebody please write this down uh, so that I don't forget. Uh, The problem that I think Darren and earlier Matthew are having with advertising is not as much advertising as what passes for advertising. So an example of advertising would be uh, you're driving down the road and there's a billboard and you, you see it, but then in, you can look at it in, or you can not look at it. Uh, or on television, uh, you're watching a show, there's a commercial break, you can sit there and watch them or you can not watch them. But with the internet, because of the technologies that's available, what they want to do, what they're trying to do is force you to see the advertisement so that it's not advertisement anymore. It becomes a type of manipulation, mind control. Uh, and it uh, these days, content is just a way to deliver advertising. Advertising is no longer a way to deliver content. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Most of what advertisers do is not advertising at all. It's tracking. Uh, and things like that, we can get into a really highly technical, geeky conversation. I hope we do next week. Uh, but I would I would just say that, yes, this is an excellent topic. Yes, there's a lot of um, avenues of ethics there. But I, I think the problem is not proper advertising. I think the problem is what we're calling advertising today that no longer is.
2: Oh, and I just thought of something. What about the whole thing where they talk about all these people that have... Um, um, what's it called? Uh, the, the machine where it's like Siri, but in your house, uh, where you uh, ask it questions or have it turn on the television and the whole yeah, thing smart, about how they're saying things, a lot of times. Uh, smart things, Internet of Things. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah,
3: that's actually Siri, man.
2: Yeah. There's another one that's Alexa. Alexa, Alexa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is the one. And, you know, hey, Alexa, do this for me. And they're talking about how a lot of times people think that that stuff is off and it's not off. And also the invasion of privacy when you don't realize there, I was just listening to something the other day where um, they were talking about how this woman, she's a yoga instructor and she goes to the store and for the first time she purchases some weird coconut something, something flavored ice cream that she'd never bought before. And then she gets home and then gets on the computer and then sees an ad for that exact same product. And she's never seen it before. And she's like, she asks her friend, who's very tech savvy, you know, are they tracking me? You know, I'm at the store. And and her friend was like, well, you know, maybe it's through your either your store savings card. You can sometimes have those where it's like a, permanent coupon or whatever. Um, But, you know, people are frequently seeing, you know, they get on the internet, they order something from some website, and then all of a sudden, you get all of these ads dealing with those types of products. And so it is sort of that tracking and the targeting But especially like with the Alexa, people are saying how, or even televisions, they're saying how sometimes they are listening to you when you don't realize they're listening to you. It's being recorded. Now, I don't know if it's on some sort of a loop to where it eventually gets um, erased. But, you know, there's all this talk about every single thing, every single search you make on the internet, how the government and stuff like that's tracking you and Facebook and all that. And and that, that starts getting a little creepy in terms of of how much knowledge they have about people you know it's one thing when you are voluntarily kind of seeding over that information but it's it's another thing entirely when we don't all have um there's not always full disclosure in terms of you know you know you have your phone off but it is something still recording or listening um, and, and that's to, you know, that's a huge, huge ethics issue and privacy concern.
3: Yeah, all of that, uh, the Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, all of those always listen because they have to be aware of when you say, hey, Alexa, hey, Siri, hey, Google. So all of that, uh, thats they're constantly listening all the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, they uh, Facebook, Twitter, all of these guys, uh, they track so much information that they can tell just by what you're posting, what your political affiliations are, um, what kind of food you normally buy, uh, probably what kind of economic um, situation you're in, uh, general health. Um, They can tell some like uh, government agencies use a lot of that information to determine when an outbreak of um, is happening in a specific situation. Um, so yeah, they they know everything, and they the, about the only thing they don't know is your name, and that's only because they intentional most of the time they intentionally leave that information out. But they can tell you who you are even without your name.
2: One so, of the
1: interesting. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to, real quick, one of the interesting things that I heard um, this role tech person um, saying, and he's dealing like with cybersecurity and stuff, and he made the perfect comment, he said, why do you think that that kind of technology like Alexa, which is, you know, very Jetsons-like, right, but why do you think it's so cheap? Because they want everybody to have it, because they're making huge amounts of money by targeting advertising. Um, yeah.
3: Whenever you have a free, whenever you have a free uh, social media thing, it's not free. They're selling your ad, your uh, personal information.
1: Also, right. But to, uh, to be
4: clear, though, the the technology needed to make something like a smart speaker is cheap because it really is cheap. Um, You can go right now and buy a a Raspberry Pi board. Um, For those that that don't know, it's an Arduino thing. For those that don't know Arduino, look up the maker movement and and that'll get started. Actually, for those who don't
1: know Arduino, they don't care.
4: Well, (laughs) yeah, but it's not that they shouldn't and they should still look it up. (laughs) Uh, So you you can buy a computer board that is plenty powerful enough to make a a home smart speaker for five, and I mean, five real dollars. Um, So it is cheap, not necessarily because they're making money on the back end. They absolutely are. Um, But but make no mistake about it, electronic boards are actually cheap.
2: I mean, lots of things are cheap in terms of their components their materials yet because of what they do and demand they still carry a huge price tag i mean so we
4: completely if, agree there
2: i could collect we
4: completely agree
2: and it's just a tiny little piece of paper with a little bit of glue on it yet it can be a fortune if people want it and so uh you know that would be uh i mean look at an iphone i, I mean how expensive is it to make an iPhone versus how much they charge for it? I'm sure there's
4: iPhone so- 6s was a hundred and fifty seven dollars uh, at the time. They sold it for six fifty. So there you go. <laughs> I, I don't know what the David. You might have numbers for the twelve. I, I don't know. Sometimes yeah, the, you follow that.
1: The numbers that you get for the bill of goods. Um, are, are never right Apple's commented on this many times um, it's really hard to just break a piece of uh, hardware down and say well the building business as much especially when a, when a company like Apple um, built uh, they invent so much of what's in there uh, and so the machines uh, for instance the that fat that makes some of this stuff didn't exist <laughs> and so Apple had to pour billions of dollars into uh companies that make their products to so that they could have the machines to do it and so they right, might, and they're they practically paupers as a result well but what i'm saying is they they might pop out a two cent part but it it costs 20 billion to to make it <laughs> so uh it's, it's sure but they'll they'll it's
4: recoup difficult.
1: it over generation after generation should, sure it once again it's difficult to get a, a, a bill. Of, Goods out of that. I mean, if you if you took everything that was in an iPhone and you said, "Okay, I want to buy this on an open market," uh, how much would it cost me? You're still not getting the same price. They've got, um, uh, you know, the economy of scale and things like that. Um, it's it's just hard to convert um, in reality.
4: Right. But- so the you're right that the engineering that goes behind gluing those parts together and and even more. Uh, the firmware and software that figure into that ultimate control um, uh, are poorly captured in something like a uh, well, the, the hardware is worth $157. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like
1: saying that. the human body is worth about uh, 78 cents uh because uh, and this was this was like a this was a uh, calculation that someone made based on the the minerals that are in the human body uh, we've got about we've got less than a dollar's worth of stuff that makes up a human
4: <laughs> i just want to know i just want to know is obesity equivalent to
1: inflation well oh, you know <laughs> sorry, maybe sorry maybe sorry. they've got a dollar 15 uh in them but it, it's really a shockingly small amount of money to get the material to make a human body. Uh, most of it's water. It's not so, but to say, well, the bill of goods for every human is about a dollar is incorrect. <laughs> you know? Well, so,
2: that's I, right because I God.
4: <laughs> What's that?
2: I, I was about to say, that's right, because the inventor of the human body, God.
4: Is worth Ed, about 57 Ed. cents.
1: In, and yeah. in with that, I am I'm pretty sure that I should have inserted a wrap up about 20 minutes ago. Uh, so look, uh, there will be another show next week. Uh, we will continue the tech conversation because there is a lot in notes um, that we didn't cover and I want to cover. Uh, and I don't actually want to get into uh, the next topic right away. So uh, stay tuned for part two uh, of the uh, tech roundtable. Uh, next week. And uh, with that, have a uh, have a great weekend, everybody.
2: Bye. See y'all.